Welcome to High Motor by BetMGM, Andrew Dowdy and Chase A. Kitty here, and we're back to football today on High Motor by BetMGM. We did some college hoops just a few weeks until Selection Sunday, the last couple of weeks Sprinkled in some football with FCS talk for the second half of last Thursday's episode. But back to football today, back to the NFL today, specifically the entire agenda for this Monday episode. We're recording this on Sunday, but the episode drops on Monday. So by now, the Carson Wentz news is pretty old, but I think we have some fresh takes. And you and I have barely talked about this off air. So I think we'll finally kind of get into our opinions of it, get into some things that I don't think are being talked about uh, enough with this trade that went down midweek or whenever it was. We just had some text that day it happened, and that's it. The big number here, $33.8 million dead cap for the Eagles. That was kind of the ball that I was waiting to drop right after the trade. We didn't didn't get that number immediately, at least I don't think when the breaking news came out. I don't think 33.8 came out right away. So, you know, first reactions when we were texting, I assumed maybe this was a foolish assumption. Obviously it was. I assumed that the Colts were taking on more money. I'm not a salary cap expert. We were talking about this before the show. I follow it. I mostly let people do the work. Same with film breakdowns that actually know what they're doing. I follow people who know what they're talking about with the nuances of the cap. And I thought that number would be substantially lower. I mean, I was expecting something in the golf range. I think that was 21 or 22 point million. But when that number dropped, the $33.8 million dead cap, an astronomical number and I think we'll get a lot. I'll get to a lot of stuff here with with Wentz and the Eagles and some historical stuff. I think a big piece of this overall conversation around this deal revolves around that number. We're going to revisit 2019. I think it was early June of 2019 when the Eagles signed Wentz to that deal. What if they hadn't done that? What were their alternatives at that time? Was that smart? How much criticism do they deserve? And now, what could 33.8 million dollars have hypothetically bought them? in 2021 and then we're going to kind of lead that conversation into some stuff we wanted to talk about the Bucks. I know you're excited to get into that we had mentioned that a couple of times right after the Super Bowl how that roster was built how they used the salary cap how Tom Brady has benefited his teams uh, in the past with a lower salary cap number let me start this discussion on Wentz with the following question for you after that Goff Stafford deal a few weeks back we spent most of our time on that episode talking about the Rams side of it what does this do for their roster? What steps forward do they take? Are they a true Super Bowl contender? But we did mention the Lions piece for a few minutes, taking on that golf salary. And I think we both agreed that it wasn't like that big of a deal for the Lions, given what they are facing over the next few years with another dramatic rebuild ahead of them. How big of a deal is the $33.8 million for an Eagles team that basically sucks and they were going to float around that, I don't know, five to nine win range for probably the next couple of years with or without Wentz. I mean, it's a huge, huge number. We know that the biggest number in NFL history by 10, 12 million dollars. But do you care that much about that number because of where the Eagles were headed over the next couple of years? Or were you more optimistic about the near future of the Eagles? Basically, how much do you care about $33.8 million dollars? 
Well, I think you have to acknowledge that it's, as as you said here pretty eloquently, it's a massive, I, like you can't understate how massive of a dead cap hit that is. And maybe, maybe like we're being a little too scientific and like you might be listening to this at home and be like, I don't, I barely even understand what dead cap means. It's a massive amount of money that they can't spend It is basically what the take home is. Like a huge portion of the amount of money they could spend to build the roster is now accounted for because of a player that doesn't even play for that team anymore. So I think what this is, is an acknowledgement from sort of the the new, you know, the Eagles going forward with a new coach in 2021 and beyond. Hey, this team is not currently good and we're not going to be able to fix it in one year. And so I think if you operate from that framework, it becomes less of a big deal because it's not like they were going to compete for, you know, like a playoff berth or a serious playoff run in 2021 anyway. They're going to have a nice draft pick for this spring's upcoming draft. And now they're probably going to have a a really good draft pick for next spring, 2022's draft as well, because you just can't build a great team or a good team or probably even an average team when you've got almost $35 million tied up in a quarterback that's no longer on your team. The question that I've been fascinated with over this is what is $33.8 million worth in the NFL in 2021? This is really an interesting question this year because of the salary cap situation after last year. So the cap was $198 million for 2020. The cap increased by at least $10 million in each of the last seven years. So if that were to happen under normal circumstances, we would ballpark it around, we'll say, 210 for 2021 under normal circumstances. If you're following here, I think you are. 198 for 2020, 210 for 2021 under normal circumstances. Instead, for 2021, it's projected to be somewhere between 180 and $190 million. So between 20 and $30 million lower than what teams were expecting even a year ago from right now. And teams plan this out pretty far. I mean, they have projections out four, five, six, seven years. And we're talking even a year ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, COVID was happening. We're talking what's February 21st. We knew that it was coming. I don't think anybody knew what potential impact it was going to have. So even a year ago, maybe even around draft time last year, we didn't know the financial fallout from COVID. So even a year ago, let alone five years ago, teams were planning this out. And now it's 20 to $30 million lower than what teams were expecting in a normal year. In the case of Philadelphia, you're down 20 to $30 million in cap space, just like every other team is. Plus, you can't spend the $33.8 million for a player that's not even on your team. Before we get ahead of ourselves here, I think that the key to this piece is that it's not like they replaced Wentz with a highly paid player. It's not like they dumped Wentz and they're now paying another quarterback or just take Jalen Hurts, for example, because he is the quarterback. They didn't dump Wentz and then pay Jalen Hurts $20, $25 million to replace him. I mean, Jalen Hurts has a cap hit of $1.3 million this year. I mean, they'll have one of the cheapest quarterback rooms in the entire league, probably the cheapest. I have to go go and look through. It would be shocking start. if somebody had a cheaper quarterback room. Yeah, it's got to. Yeah, I don't. I don't exactly know like what Sudfeld's situation is for twenty twenty one and what they're planning on doing. I, I assume that they might draft somebody late or sign like an Andy Dalton type of quarterback. So maybe it ends up being up around ten. But even if they're there, we're talking about one of the cheapest quarterbacks in the room, quarterback rooms in the league when. 
I don't, I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but I bet half the league probably has more than that, more than $15 million tied up into one quarterback. But anyway, still $33.8 million in the books for a player not on their team. And Pro Football Focus did a really good, I, I love their free agency rankings they do every year because they not only break down the rankings by player, but this year they have 150 players and they did a projected contract, so the, the destination of the team might that, that might sign them and the value, both laying out years, total money, guarantee money, all of that. So using those projections you know, fairly loosely here, because we don't know what teams are prioritizing. We don't know if, for example, if Kenny Galladay is projected to get you know an average annual value of 23, if the cap drops by $30 million, does that now drop to 16 or $17 million? Nobody on the planet knows how that's going to shake out. So in the case of Philadelphia, they need a lot of positions. I mean, you could argue every position outside of quarterback. You could even say maybe they want to draft another quarterback in case Jalen Hurts' few starts uh, weren't as good as they seem. The Eagles need cornerbacks. They need receivers. They need linebackers. They need basically everything. So looking at Pro Football Focus's top 150, just search Pro Football Focus free agency rankings and you'll find it. If you look at those rankings, they could sign – uh, kind of a weak cornerback class, but you could still sign top-ranked cornerback William Jackson and then Mike Hilton. He's their fourth-ranked corner. You could sign both of them for 2021 for a combined salary of this year of $17 million and still go get Juju Smith-Schuster for $17 million. That's $34 million. They could also focus on rebuilding an offensive line that's aging. You can go get Daryl Williams for $10 million. You could put some money at edge rusher, maybe sign Trey Hendrickson to eight or nine, ten million dollars, and then sign Mike Hilton again for four million dollars. So we could run through these scenarios all day. They're literally endless. We don't know what direction Philadelphia is going. We don't know if they're trying to get more draft capital. We don't know if they're even going to sign free agents like this, given how poor they're supposed to be for the next two years. But I mean, maybe it is Kenny Galladay at, at twenty million dollars, and then you go with Justin Simmons at safety for fourteen million dollars. Maybe it's five to six mid or low level guys coming off a rookie deal, sign them all for $34 million. And yeah, with all the disclaimers here that that's not how this is working, it's not like the Eagles would have had all of this money in any trade scenario. It seemed highly unlikely that they'd have no dead cap after this Wentz deal. And yes, it's just one year. Yes, they will save money with Wentz off the books. I think it's almost $40 million over the next two years. But my point being here is that it's a lot of money, and no matter what scenario you run through there, I mean, if it is Juju Smith-Schuster and a couple of cornerbacks, if it is Kenny Galladay and Justin Simmons, if it is five or six mid- or low-level type of free agents for $34 million, those guys will improve your team. We don't know if Philadelphia wants to improve their team. We literally don't know that. The Doug Peterson tanking situation last year, pulling the quarterback, got a lot of attention. We have no idea what Howie Roseman and that front office uh, is looking at. But the, the point being, no matter how you look at this, whatever scenario you have, that's a ton of money. And it's a big whiff to be just eating that kind of money, even in a rebuild. What I want to ask you is it how like how fair is it to criticize Philadelphia? And this might lead into the, you know the extension talk of revisiting the 2019 extension for Carson Wentz. But how fair is it for us to criticize the Eagles for that big of a dead cap picks. We can look at the number, and like you said, no matter how you look at it, that's an astronomical number, and that should never happen. But how much criticism do they really deserve for botching something like that when I don't know what kind of effect it's actually going to have on the team for the next year or two? Well, again, I think it goes into... You You have to know... You have to have been in the room, I think, and known what the strategy was. Like, if it was incompetence, okay, yeah, that's... That's terrible. 
But I, I'm like, you know, kind of like I alluded to, I, I wonder if they were okay conceding to a number that massive, understanding the track that they're on right now. Uh, so I, I, I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to go super critical because I think it, it all could probably work itself out in the long run. In the short term, it's going to be sort of a tire fire. But I, I don't know. I, I, I would push back, I think, too, on something you said a couple minutes ago, which was I, I, I could totally see the Eagles drafting a quarterback in the first round. Like I, you said, um, you know, they need, you know, help in almost every position, probably except quarterback. I still think they might take a quarterback. I, I, I don't know that Jalen Hurts is like going to be a banger of an NFL quarterback. I thought he, he looked better than I thought he would when he, when he got some limited playing time sort of toward the end of this season. So maybe he's ahead of where I expected him to be, but I think I heard Albert Brewer make a really interesting case, which was if you look at the quarterback class for this upcoming draft, there's a lot of quarterback talent in there. And if you sort of project out toward what next year's quarterback draft class is going to be, it looks like it might be really rough. And so you might see teams kind of like the Eagles who are looking around going, do we need a quarterback? We might, we might not. We're not sure. Maybe... Maybe Hertz is the answer. Maybe we're going to be having this conversation again in three years. Maybe we should just take one. Because next year, if we don't like what we have, next year we might not really have a strong option in front of us. So you could see them go after a quarterback in addition to all of these other things that they probably need to address with their team at this point. I mean, pretty much everywhere but the defensive line. Because when you look at their cap, like, I, I don't want this to turn into, like, math hour with Chase and Andrew, but Fletcher Cox, uh, Brandon Graham, Jason Hargrave, and Derek Barnett, they have, like, almost $50 million tied up in those four players, and they're all defensive linemen. So I think they're probably good there. They'll probably take some depth, maybe in, you know, day two type of stuff. But they, they need offensive line help. They might need a quarterback. They probably need to take a running back at some point that doesn't sound like he's an XFL player. Like they, they just need a lot of help, but I wouldn't rule out quarterback there. I think you're right on that. And and going back to that, I don't know why I even said that. I'm not sure if I even believed it when I said it, but I think I think you're right on that. I mean, going so they have the sixth pick. And when you're talking at pull up because Justin Herbert was the sixth yeah, because Tua was five and Justin Herbert was six last year. So even if you were to take a quarterback, you know, if Zach Wilson falls to six or if Trey Lance is there at six, whoever you take, you're not going to have that much money. I mean, going back to talking about him having the one of the cheapest quarterback rooms in the NFL, Justin Herbert, for example, in 22, so his rookie deal last year, his cap hit was only 4.8. This year it's six, next year it's 7.2, fourth year is 8.4. With a fifth year deal, and we'll talk more about that with Wentz here in a little bit, that's going to jump up to the average, uh, I think it's you know, like one through 10 or something like that, how that works with the fifth year option. So this year in 2021 for a rookie deal, I mean, your cap hit was still going to be $4.8 million. So you have Jalen Hurts, I think I said 1.3. Let's say it is Trey Lance at number six, and he's just their backup quarterback, and you go out and get somebody else or maybe Sudfeld signs for the veteran minimum deal. At 1.3 for Hurts, 4.8 for Trey Lance, and then let's put a $2 million quarterback in there. 
I mean, they have a quarterback room of $8 million that's nowhere near one of the worst quarterbacks quarterback rooms in the NFL. I don't know where that would actually sit in terms of quarterback rooms or situations long-term and short-term, but there are a lot worse situations out there than having Jalen Hurts at 1.3, Trey Lance at 4.8, and then whatever veteran you want to throw out there for $2 million. There are a lot of worse situations in the NFL than that, and it's hard to make an argument that taking... Maybe it's Patrick Sertain that you take at uh, number six instead. I think it's hard to say that taking him at number six would make this franchise that much better in the long term than taking someone like Trey Lance and having a little bit of insurance there. Maybe, best case scenario, Jalen Hurts comes out and lights the world on fire here in year two. Maybe they'll make the same mistake they made with Wentz and sign him to a long-term extension before they should have. But it's like there, there isn't a bad scenario there. If Jalen Hurts comes out in 2021 and plays great, okay, then you have Trey Lance sitting there. Maybe you flip him right away. Maybe you wait a year and flip him, and you get your first-round pick back and then some, and then you have a, a, a viable a number three option in case either of them goes down. So I think you're spot on with that. I could totally see him now taking a quarterback at number six because of the financial piece of it. When you're in that much trouble with the cap like they are, and you're not that worried about being competitive in 2021, why not roll the dice with a Trey Lance? Maybe you like Justin Fields at six. Maybe Zach Wilson falls. Maybe even trade up a couple of spots. I think to play devil's advocate to our own argument here is that why not trade down? If Trey Lance is there at six and maybe the Panthers want to come up, I I don't know, maybe the Giants want to come up, maybe the Niners want to come up, maybe the Vikings want to come up, I have no idea. Trading down from six to... Let's take the Giants at 11. Trading down from 6 to 11 will net you a, a pretty good return. You're going to get an extra first-round pick out of it. You might get you know an extra second, maybe even a third out of it too. Would that benefit the team more long-term? Or because of what you're saying, if Jalen Hurts comes out and doesn't play that well in 2021, all of a sudden you're staring at a poor quarterback class in, 2021, in the uh, 2022 draft, and having that extra first-round pick doesn't really mean dick. Is there any, do you see any substance there with that side of the argument? Or do you still think it's, hey, take Trey Lance, number six, and kind of build for the long-term future while also protecting yourselves against a cap this year in a really bad situation? Well, I think the interesting thing that you could pair with that idea of trading down or not taking a quarterback or whatever is one of the things I've also talked about a lot is my theory of cheap quarterbacks and how that's your prime Super Bowl window. So any year, like if you feel like this is going to be a multi-year rebuild where you're not, you're maybe not super competitive uh, in terms of, of winning a Super Bowl, right? Like you're not competitive on that level until 2022 or 2023. Every year you don't take that quarterback is a year toward the end of your window. So like if you have a cheap quarterback for four, maybe five years and you start the clock this spring... Like that's, that's now like you're already burning one of those years on this 2021 season where we're kind of acknowledging you're probably not going to be that competitive because of your cap issues. So maybe you put it off and you start looking around for a quarterback in 2022, either through free agency or through the draft, because that's buying you time toward the end of that championship window. But then you're rolling the dice with, are we actually going to get a championship caliber quarterback? Um, my guy Rosillo argues that, hey, like even even in bad years, there's always like, there's usually somebody that's good, 
we might not be able to identify them on publicly, like on the front end of that. But it's rare that we have a quarterback class that is so bad that nobody comes out of it. So it's just kind of where do you want to take your risk, right? Do you want to take it now? Take a guy maybe a little bit too early, and then you've got to pay him before the rest of the roster catches up. And now you've got issues down the road where you're good, but maybe your window closed too fast. Do you want to risk not having a good quarterback at all? And maybe you're just sort of in limbo with you know an offense that's a little bit stagnant, especially in this era of wide open everything right now. Uh, I mean, it's it's just it's a tough situation and. and you know that that's sort of the the name of the game when you're when you're a front office and when you're playing with all these numbers it's you have to line so many things up correctly for it to all work out and i think that's why i've been so impressed with what tampa did is how they were able to get the key free agent signing that then lined all these other pieces up and that ends with the super bowl <laughs> So you nailed that JMU number on Thursday's episode. I think you said something like, this is about as easy of a bet as you can make, hitting that 40-and-a-half. JMU throttles Moorhead State for Thursday's episode. Where are we going today? We are going to the NBA for this episode's pick. Uh, one of the things I like to do, and it is kind of hard to pull off because you've really got to be paying attention, but I like to bet against teams in the last game of a long road trip. And right now, the Miami Heat have been on a big West Coast uh, road trip, playing all these West Coast teams. This is something that's pretty common in every NBA season. It's especially common this year, where they have sort of a compressed season, and they're trying to hit all these different Western Conference teams or Eastern Conference teams. Whatever conference the team is not in, they're just bang, 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 back up and down the coast, and then they come back home. So when you look at what the Heat have done since they left Miami uh, on after Tuesday, February 9th, the game with the Knicks, they play the Houston Rockets on the 11th, they play the Jazz on the 13th, they play in L.A. against the Clippers on Monday the 15th, they go to the Warriors for Wednesday the 17th, that was that big collapse game where they were up huge and then the Warriors come back and win in overtime, they... Uh, back into the back-to-back right after the Golden State Warriors game. They, they go to Sacramento. They Everybody's betting the Kings because of the collapse the night before. Miami actually ends up winning that. And then Saturday night, so yesterday for when we're recording this, Miami goes and beats the Lakers. So the very last leg of this road trip, they go to Oklahoma City on Monday. This is a double great spot now because you're actually in a letdown spot after the win over the Lakers. It's the very last game of this road trip. They'll go home to Miami and play the Raptors on Wednesday. The line for this game isn't even out yet, but I expect it to be a small number either way. Maybe Oklahoma City's favored by two. Maybe Miami's favored by two and a half. I I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be a very big number. The number's not out yet. Either way, when it posts, I am going to be betting Oklahoma City. I'm betting against Miami in this letdown spot. After the revenge win over the Lakers that they played in the finals, I'm betting against Miami in the final. Oh my God, I just want to go home. Let's end this road trip game of this uh, this big long swing out west. So that is my thought process for this game. Like I said, we're recording this podcast early enough that the number's not out yet, but when it comes out, I expect it to be small, and I'm going to be betting Oklahoma City. <laughs>
Carson Wentz signed his rookie deal, obviously, right after the draft in 2016. That was the four-year, $27 million. And then he played 16, 17, and 18. And for that fifth-year option that's available to first-round picks, that needs to be uh, declared. If, if, if the team was going to take the fifth-year option, they need to declare it by the first week of May before the fourth year. So in the case of Carson Wentz, the Eagles needed to say by the first week of May in 2019 that they were going to pick up the fifth-year option for 2020. The Eagles did that. It was late April, I believe, when they came out and said that we're going to pick up the fifth-year option for Carson Wentz for 2020 after he had already played three years. A month later, about five weeks later, came that new deal that put ourselves in this position, $128 million over four years. And the thing about this is, is that it was 2021 through 2024. So they were going to have Wentz on that rookie deal in 2019, the final year of it, and the fifth-year option bump for 2020, but still very reasonable for a quarterback. And then after that, the new deal would start. So he'd play out the final two years of that rookie contract, and then the new four-year deal would start in 2021. So he hasn't even started that deal yet, as we're talking right here. At the time of that deal, he had missed eight games the last two years in 17 and 18. He was a good quarterback. I think we we often forget that Carson Wentz came out as a good quarterback. He played well as a rookie. He played well in 2017. And he played well in 2018. It seemed like Philly had their guy. I don't know if there were many people out there that actually believed that Carson Wentz wasn't the future quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. So let's not pretend that Carson Wentz sucked in his first three seasons. Like, we agree on that, right? He was legitimately good, and he appeared headed toward a good career in Philadelphia. I feel like that kind of gets lost. Do you get that feeling, too? I don't know if it's totally lost, but we do have a, a whole lot of people living in the now and and being hypercritical of both the Eagles and the Wentz, when the reality is, a couple years ago, he was in MVP contention. I, I don't know how serious of a candidate it is, but he was one of those names that got thrown out like, oh yeah, and you know, Wentz is in the mix. Like he's, you know, he, he's probably going to get some votes. So when you're talking about a quarterback of that caliber, then... Yeah, you pay that guy. This is not like other positions in the NFL. You have to take care of your quarterback because he's the face of your franchise. You can't, I mean, I I get that Jerry Jones is, is kind of doing this with Dak Prescott, but I think most organizations most of the time are not going to play out the five years all the way through on the rookie deal and then like franchise tag him, you know, like in year six. I mean, it's just unusual and not generally how the position is treated because of just all of the extra stuff that goes on top of being a franchise quarterback. That guy usually gets paid. Now, sometimes in the case of like Jared Goff, probably paid a little bit too early and definitely too much. But I I don't necessarily think the Eagles did anything wrong with paying Wentz. Uh, But I, I thought they paid him around the right time I think it would be weird to do it earlier. I think it's borderline disrespectful to do it later. So I don't really have any criticisms of that. I kind of agree, but two questions to kind of circle back of what you were talking about. Was it too early or not? First question, why then? And if not then, if you're not signing him to the extension in 2019, would they have done it after the 2019 season anyway? On one hand, he was still, I mean, I think he dropped off a little bit in 2019, but like he was he was still responsible with the football. He wasn't misfiring on 25% of his throws uh, like he did in 2020. He was still fairly good in 2019. 
but they also took Jalen Hurts in the second round. I get that they didn't take him in the top 10, but like a second round quarterback, you're sending a signal there. It seems like Doug Peterson wanted to use Hurts in some sort of like hybrid fashion. He didn't uh, use Hurts with Wentz in some sort of hybrid fashion. We don't really know. It always seemed like Peterson couldn't make up his mind when he'd put Hurts in the game. We don't know if they actually had decreased confidence in Wentz at the time of the Hurts pick and after the Hurts pick. From 10,000 feet, it seems like there are conflicting signals on their confidence level in Hurts. So we can question the timing in 2019. It seems like you don't even really want to do that. But let's say that we want to question that timing in 2019. But after 2019, like would they have made the same deal? We don't know for sure, do we? We don't know if, if they still would have made that deal after 2019. If they would have, maybe would it have been like a three-year $75 million deal instead of a four-year $128 million deal. But we we need to understand that they still could have made this deal before the 2020 NFL draft in which they took Jalen Hurts, right? We just don't know if they would have done that. Yes, and I think your three for 75 is probably right on the money of of about what they might have done if they had waited. Uh, but I, I just I just don't think you wait for that. Uh, and and I don't I don't necessarily agree with your idea that Hertz drafting Hertz where they did sends a mixed signal. Wentz was a guy that had been hurt a little bit. Not you know he wasn't you know RG three or anything, but he had been hurt enough that maybe you wanted a little bit bigger of an insurance potential than your average backup quarterback across the NFL. So you go get a guy like Jalen Hurts. Did I say Wince? I don't know. I don't know if I messed any of that up. But the idea is that Hurts is a guy that gives you upside at your backup. You probably don't have to pay him for a little while. You might not even sign him to like a veteran contract. You might just let him walk into free agency. He does give you, like you alluded to, some options as like uh, like a let's let's throw him in here and do something weird, Taysom Hill potential. So I I don't necessarily agree that his drafting and his you know his coming to the Eagles was a mixed signal. I I feel a little bit differently than you on that. And somebody tweet at us at High Motor Pod if there has been some reporting on what the Eagles thought of Wentz post 2019. Maybe I missed that, but if they didn't make that, let's say they didn't make the 2019 deal. Let's put ourselves in that world. Maybe you still draft Hurts and let Wentz play out the fifth-year option. Like you said, it doesn't happen very much. I don't even know if that's... I have to go back and look. I mean, we're looking at Dak Prescott, but I'm trying to think over the last 15, 20 years in the NFL. Maybe that's something we'll go back and look and we'll talk about on Thursday's episode. Maybe you draft Hurts, let Wentz play out the fifth-year option, and then maybe you take... They were at 21 last year. Maybe you take Jordan Love at 21. I mean, do they make a run at Tom Brady? they bring in Cam Newton or Phillip Rivers? If that 2019 deal doesn't happen, how does that dramatically change what the Eagles were going to do last year? I mean, do they make? Do they think they have the roster to go make a run at Tom Brady, fit him into his cap, which you're going to get to in a, in a little bit here, and then make a run at the Super Bowl? Like, do they feel like they had the roster to do that, even though we can see now, we can see that. I don't know what they saw internally, but there are so many holes in this roster that that team was so far away from actually being a true Super Bowl contender. I mean, they couldn't even win the dog shit NFC East. So I don't know what the Eagles thought of themselves, but what would they have done if they didn't make that deal? I feel like there are too many unanswered questions here 
well, especially obviously from us because we're not insiders with the team and we're not in the front office. But that's why, going back to your point, I have a hard time criticizing that 2019 deal. I know we can all sit here and say $33.8 million in a dead cap. Yeah, that sucks. But you also have a new potential franchise quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Sample size is super tiny. I'm not ready to declare Jalen Hurts as the future 10-year starter at quarterback for the Eagles. But as we mentioned, maybe take another quarterback this year at number 6. Maybe you bring in a low-priced free agent to compete for the job. Maybe you take another quarterback in, in 2022. But even though that number is so huge, like the Eagles aren't in that bad of a spot here. Because of what we've said over the last what half hour that we've been talking, Like, given what that number is and what spot they could have been if they were paying like a high-priced guy to come in and take over for Wentz, I just I don't know if the number kind of shocked everybody and we didn't all step back and say how bad is this really? And I don't know if it is that bad. Anything else here on the, before we uh, hop into Tom Brady and the Bucks situation? No, let's talk about something else. You mentioned this right when we were talking about how a Super Bowl contender was built and how we wanted to get into the Bucks roster situation, specifically with how they're structuring contracts, how they set them out, set themselves up for building it, and then you go and get Tom Brady. That team is not going to win the Super Bowl with even an average Jameis Winston last year. They needed a guy like Tom Brady to come do it. And what they did in Tom Brady is they got a guy that didn't have top five money. He doesn't have the Matt Ryan cap hit of $40 million. He's making good money for a quarterback, but he's nowhere. he's been underpaid his entire career. So I want to let you run with this because you had dug into some cap stuff for the Bucks and how you think they were able to put themselves in a position to make a run at Brady and make it work, and could that be a blueprint moving forward for other teams? I don't think people fully understand how much of a cap the the quarterback position can suck out. And I'm not even talking about you've got your first string, you've got your backup, you've got your, your third string emergency quarterback. I'm talking about just the starter. For the, the year we just played in the NFL, or actually I'm looking at 2021, so this upcoming year, Ben Roethlisberger, who I think you and I will agree is not like a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. Is he even a top half quarterback right now? A top half. That's besides the point. I, yeah, I'd he's have not. To write it he's all not. Out. Whatever he, his cap. What's his cap hit? Like thirty-five or forty million dollars. He's not that type yeah, of quarterback. Forty-one, two fifty. Forty-one and a quarter is the cap hit for the Steelers for Roethlisberger this year. Okay, you're not winning the Super Bowl. When, when that's your production and that's your price, now that's fine because, you know, he, in a way, deserves to get paid. Like, you know, you pay somebody for, for future performance, not past, fine, we, we all get that. But you take care of your guy that won, that won Super Bowls for you. So, like, I don't necessarily have an issue with that. But, yeah, like, when you're Matt Ryan, 40.9, Aaron Rodgers, 37.5, Russell Wilson, 32, Kirk Cousins, 31. Ryan Tannehill, 29-5. So when you have a guy like Brady that says, I'll come play for you for like 20, that's pretty good. Now, when you look at Brady's full cap hit for this upcoming year, it's 28,375. And when you look back at last year, it's not terribly different than that. Uh, It's actually the exact same. It's 28,375. But the thing that people don't understand or at least maybe they they don't think about or they overlook, is how much different that is than what you see Matt Ryan or Aaron Rodgers or Roethlisberger make at the top of the market. 
how much money he's giving up. If Tom Brady hit the open market like he did before the 2020 season, and he said, I don't care about anything else, I just want to get paid, how much money would Brady make? It would be an astronomical number. If you could bring, if it's just open bidding, let's bring a six-time Super Bowl champion in here, let's sell some tickets, let's see if he can attract some other free agents, we don't care about the quality of the team, let's just pay this guy. He's making $40 million, I would think. Instead, he signs for 15 base and has a roster bonus of $10 million, and then he's got some other incentives in there for, you know, three and change. That enables the team to go bring in other guys. There is a middle class in terms of, re- in terms of money, in terms of contracts, that Tampa was able to f- put together because of that. Now, there were some other reasons, too. There was actually some, some pretty strong draft picks and some songs, strong signings before Brady that also put Tampa in position for this. Obviously, Arians is a good coach, so I'm not saying it's all Tom Brady's pocketbook. But, I mean, how, how much of this, I mean, if you really want to go comprehensive big picture, how much of this can you tie to the fact that Tom Brady's wife is successful in her own right, so he doesn't have to go make $50 million a year? So uh, there's just a lot of factors if you really, really want to look at the whole thing. I just want to narrow in on what the cap situation for the Bucks looked like last year, because you had some extra room. Let's go down some of these players and what they make here. And, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go like super PBS on you. I'm just trying to give you an idea of what's going on. Jason Pierre Paul, who we all know, he's a Super Bowl winner in his own right. Good player, $12 million. So, like, what are you laughing? Are you laughing at PBS? PBS? Like, I just mean I'm not going to go super granola on you. I'm not going to go like really, really granular. I'm just trying to give you an idea. JPP could probably command more money than this. I know he's at the toward the end of his career, not maybe not at the very end. He's toward the end. Twelve million. That's a pretty good number, but he could probably command a little bit more if he wanted to. Gronkowski got nine million. I actually thought that was the most exorbitant number of any of this. Like the guy was retired. You could probably have gotten him for less. But I also think that was a little bit of kissing Brady's ring. Mike Evans, eight point three million. Dude would definitely command more on the market. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, I mentioned Kenny Galladay and going through some of these projections right. for, for pro football focus. I don't know where people think like Mike Evans sits in the Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson ballpark, but projections say that the average annual value for Robinson and Galladay, who I think were three and four overall on the free agency list for pro football focus, and maybe this could vary a little bit, but the average annual value is like 20 to $23 million. I don't know if Evans would get that much. I don't even know how old Evans is. He's got to be almost 30. But the point being that yeah, Mike when did Evans he come out could, of A and M like thirteen? Well, he was there when Manzel was there, right? Yeah. Manzel was there until third. But anyways, he's got to be almost to his age thirty season. But if he were on the open market, he would get at least bare minimum like a four year, sixty five seventy million dollar deal, which is double what he's making right now. Yeah. So I eight point three is a is a is a nice deal for him. Uh, but it is a fortune compared to what they're paying Chris Godwin right now, who's still on his rookie contract and makes total like this is including incentives and everything. His cap hit two point three million. Uh, they that got Sue for eight. Yeah, they got Sue for eight million. They got Devin White for six point seven. Vita Vea four million. Leonard Fournette, who was like a top 
top five pick, wasn't he? Wasn't he four at LSU? I might be making four, that up. Three, yeah, yeah. He was he was high, high, high running back pick. Mike you know, Evans ben, is only twenty seven years old. Mike Evans is only twenty seven. He's played he seven years young. already. So Four maybe he would is, get twenty million dollars. Yeah, that sounds right. Like that that middle contract where you get paid. Sure. Fournette, two point five mil. Antonio Brown, one point two five million. Antonio Brown. So there because of Tom Brady, and not just because of the money that he didn't take, but also because of the confidence he gives you, you can now take some chances on some guys that might not pan out, but you've got some margin for error. Fournette is a guy that was basically left for dead when he was out in Jacksonville, right? Instead, he becomes like the sledgehammer to the Tampa offense there in the playoffs. Antonio Brown was a joke. I mean, a joke on Twitter. He was a punchline for a long, long time. Catches a touchdown in the Super Bowl. $1.25 million cap hit. Uh... Antoine Winfield Jr., 1.3. Sean Murphy Bunting, who powered a lot of the defensive scrappiness that the Bucks defense had is sort of toward the back end. Uh, 1.7 million. I mean, just the, the, the amount of production they got from just up and down the roster, the chances they were allowed to take, is 100% the reason why they won the Super Bowl. I mean, you have to give credit to Brady and and you know, all of the things that he brings and his willingness to take less money. But this was not a Super Bowl that Tom Brady won because he's Tom Brady. This was a 1-53 to roster win. And the way the front office put all this together put them in position to do this. And, and I think it's easy to see all these markers now because it's hindsight. But there are certain things you see with teams that either win Super Bowls or that compete annually for Super Bowls in in how their teams are structured and the fiscal health of what they're doing. And in hindsight, it's really easy to see why this happened for the Bucs and how they won because of how just filthy good of job their front office did. Well, it's also easy to see why teams like the Jaguars or the Giants or the Redskins or whomever don't win because they continue to throw just crazy. I mean, that offseason where the Jaguars spent like a billion dollars on Clayus Campbell and all those other guys. Nick Foles, I think, was in there. Maybe that was the offseason afterward. Who else did they get? They got uh, I'm blanking on the safety's name from Houston. But anyways, it, it shows you that, yes, that's how you win, but it also shows you how you don't win. Like, I don't know why teams continue to do this and throw this kind of... I mean, go through... If you haven't pulled up the Pro Football Focus projections, go through and see where they generally think players will land and like who the Jets might play. And I get that we are more optimistic on the Jets moving forward than we ever have been because there's obviously no clear path forward with Adam Gase. But these teams continue to do this and they have, you know, 50% of their entire salary cap tied up in like a safety and a receiver and a, a tight end or something. And then you don't hit on all these guys. I mean, like the Bucks hit on Antoine Winfield. I think he was like the last pick of the first round, or like one of the first two picks of the second round. Like they hit on Antoine Winfield. I don't know if that was luck. I don't know how well they scouted him. If they had liked him more, you would have thought they would have moved up for him. But anyways, it makes your margin for error even that much smaller. Like the Bucks did well, but even though they have Tom Brady and they have all these pieces, their margin for error was still razor thin. In the case of like the Redskins or the, the Giants or whomever that spent all this money on free agency, 
you're taking a razor thin margin, you're shrinking it down uh, even more. One thing I want to get to that I, I was waiting for you for like 15 minutes to talk about. I had never seen this stat before. This is something that Warren Sharp tweeted out and he wrote about a little bit. This was back in August of 2019. Looking at Tom Brady's cap hits, you know, restructure like in a little table of when the Patriots won the Super Bowl. So he has every single year laid out there what his age was, what his current cap hit for that year was, and what the cap hit rank was. So in New England, he won six Super Bowls, right? In each of those six years, he never had a top 10 cap hit. He had 11th in 2018, 18th ranked cap hit in 2016, 11th ranked in 2014, 11th in 2004, 18th in 2003, and then he doesn't have uh, on the rookie deal from 2001, but obviously he wasn't in the top 10. There were a few years where he was in the top 10. There were one, two, three, four, five, six different years where Tom Brady, seven different years where Tom Brady had a top 10 cap hit and the Patriots did not win a Super Bowl. I don't dig into the Patriots enough, you know, daily or weekly to say if that was the exact reason why. Like when Tom Brady was making $20 million in 2019 with that new that new deal, and he had the highest cap hit anywhere of any quarterback. I don't know if that was specifically why the Patriots didn't win the Super Bowl that year. The year before when he was a top four cap hit. The year before that when he was a top three cap hit. 2006 when he had the top cap hit. I don't know if that was the only reason or the biggest reason. But when you're talking about six Super Bowls with the Patriots, all of which he was never a top ten cap hit. And I think with the Bucks last year he was either seven or eight. So we're talking about kind of right on that fringe. But still, he's never won a Super Bowl in which he's been a top five cap hit. Going back to everything that you've said over the last several weeks of the rookie deal is how you win it. I don't know if this is like a separate blueprint or if it just kind of falls under the don't pay your quarterback a billion dollars and you can make your team better. I think it's the same idea, just executed a different way. But that's nuts. I mean, six Super Bowls, now seven Super Bowls in which he's never had a top five cap. And you're talking about the best quarterback of all time. In 2017, he had the 19th highest cap hit in the NFL among quarterbacks. We'll have to go back and maybe look at what yeah. 18 quarterbacks are ranked ahead of them. I had never seen those stats before. That is outrageous. Yeah. Anything else on the Bucks? Uh, well done. I think I'm done thinking about them now because I, I got this like massive cap crap. We got to think of a way. Wh- what do you call that? A, a crap? I think we should end the podcast now. <laughs> Thanks for dropping by. <laughs> we will be back on High Motor by BetMGM on this Thursday. That's the 25th. That's actually the day that conference tournaments start. I believe the Horizon or Missouri Valley. I can't remember. I think it's the Horizon that starts on the 25th, and they kind of chop it up. But anyways, we'll be back on Thursday, the 25th. We have no agenda or plan for that yet, so if you have any mailbag questions or topics or what we should name the cap crap, please let us know, betting or anything else. Send them to at High Motor Pod on Twitter. Until then, enjoy your weeks, and thank you for listening to High Motor by BetMGM. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you met. How you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces